This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. This is Less Than Live with Cater Die, a bi-weekly podcast about comics from all angles. I'm going to talk to you about what I'm reading and doing in the industry, as well as interviewing some of my friends and favorite creators. So come along with me on this journey into geek culture. On today's show, I'm gearing up for the Dublin International Comic Expo as well as New York Comic Con, and I don't remember what the sun looks like. I recommend a bunch of spooky comics and then talk Dracula with Gotham Academy and Batgirl co-writer Brendan Fletcher. Welcome back to episode eight. It's just me this time. I'm back home briefly, although when you're listening to this, I'm going to be in Ireland, so that's kind of a trip. (laughs) Mentally and also physically, because I have to fly across the ocean. (laughs) I'm going to the Dublin... uh, International Comic Expo. Very excited about that. My first time across the pond, as they some people say, um, <laughs> since I was 18 and uh, went to Denmark. So I am very excited for this. Going to be a ton of really awesome people at that show. And yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to start with that. Jordi Belair, who's an Eisner Award-winning colorist, is going to be there. Declan Shalvey, her boyfriend and also incredible artist of the the new run of Moon Knight. Um, He did the first several issues, or at least the first trade paperback of the relaunch of that series. And he's just great. The two of them are amazing. So I'm very excited for that. Um, Becky Clunan's going to be at that show. The team uh, behind The Wicked and the Divine, Jamie McKelvey and Karen Gillan, are going to be there. And I'm finally going to get to meet Emma Rios, who is the artist of Pretty Deadly and also a couple of really, really great issues of Captain Marvel. She's amazing. I'm going to try and commission her. By the next uh, episode, I'll tell you how that went. (laughs) Um, I'll also be seeing Rebecca Isaacs at that show, hopefully, who did some incredible work on Buffy. I have a commission of hers up in our house that my roommate Jess had done at New York Comic Con a couple of years ago. And uh, anybody who's worked on the Buffy comics is, is pretty great in my books. And on that note, when we talked last time, I was on my way to the Memphis Comic Expo where Jenny Frizen was. And Jenny Frizen is a... a cover artist that I absolutely love. She's someone whose name I mention all of the time and people don't always know who I'm talking about. But here, if you're listening to me, you're probably near a computer. You should look up Jenny Frizen. <laughs> she did the covers for, um, as far as I know, the entirety of a series called Revival, which is a very spooky, Twin Peaksy rural noir story. And they are beautiful. She did a lot of work, again, for the Buffy comics. She'd done some Vampirella covers. She did a whole bunch for Red Sonia. And she was in Memphis, and I got some prints from her, and I tried really hard not to freak out, but I freaked out a little bit. (laughs) Jenny is amazing, so sweet, and so much fun. And that was an awesome, awesome time. Memphis itself was fantastic. It was great. Um, The show was was so awesome, and if it goes and it does a second year, if you're near the area, I totally encourage you to come by. There was light in the convention center, and when you go to as many conventions as I do— that, is, that really makes a difference. I, I think so fondly of the conventions where there are windows, and I can think of them almost instantly because I noticed it so strongly uh, that TCAF, which is in the Toronto Reference Library, and uh, the Skybridge at Emerald City Comic Con were both places. <laughs> it's a weird world when you get really excited for natural light. But there it is, and it was there, and it was a really good time. Um, I got to hang out with our first podcast guest, uh, Ian McGinty. That was really awesome. Hung out with Chris. Hung out with a ton of people. Memphis was great. In other work-related news, if if you're interested, uh, Fraggle Rock is completely done being written and edited. Um, 
the the art is still coming in, but I'm I'm done. I'm done with Fraggle completely, which is kind of heartbreaking. And I really hope we get to do some more because I had a ton of fun writing that series. Edward Scissorhands is about halfway through being written. Uh, Bravest Warriors. I'm at like issue 29, which seems sort of crazy for the fact that 24 is not even out yet. Um, but oh man, I'm I'm kind of like overwhelmed <laughs> a little bit. But uh, if you're going to be at New York Comic Con, which is coming up way too soon, there is so much going on for my stuff there. And sometimes it's hard to remember to plug my own uh, projects at the podcast. But if you're going to be at New York Comic Con, uh, it starts on November 8th or 9th. And um, October 8th in comic shops sees the debut of Bravest Warriors number 25, which is our big bug cat issue, which if you are a Bravest Warriors fan, you will know Catbug. And Bug Cat is the kind of bizarro, evil version, although there's a lot more to it that you will see if you read the issue. Um, Ian and I put a lot of work and love into this. His art in it is just amazing. And there are six backup strips that tie into the story that are done by six different absolutely wonderful artists. So that's going to be debuting at New York Comic Con. I have a special New York Comic Con exclusive cover that's going to be there. And I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think it's pretty cool. So if you're going to be around at that show, I'm also going to be doing sketch covers. Ian's going to be doing sketch covers. And the, the same day and weekend, Fraggle Rock number one comes out. So I will be at the boom booth um, crying with being overwhelmed. <laughs> and please come by and uh, reassure me that everything's going to be okay. <laughs> or buy comics? I don't know. Um, Edward Scissorhands will not be out yet, but we will have a special preview version of it at the IDW booth. So go by there and ask about it and tell them that you're going to buy it and tell them you're going to buy 100 copies so that they let me write more Edward Scissorhands. Is this... I don't know if I'm trying to bribe you here. Um, I'm excited. New York Comic Con is really soon. That's pretty much all that's going on because I can't function or think of anything else other than the fact that I have a new webcomic. I talked about it a little bit last time, but um, I've got six pages of it up and, or possibly more by the time you hear this. And it is a kind of Halloween-y story about a little ghost on an adventure who may or may not have some love in her life. So you can find that at littleghostcomic.com. Let's get to the rest of the show. So I know it's sacrilege, but I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks reading actual prose novels. And uh, (laughs) it's strange for me, too. Um, But right now I'm in the middle of reading two different book books. Uh, One is called Wolf and White Band by John Darnielle, who is the singer uh, and founder of The Mountain Goats, which is this really awesome strange like I'm like I'm like three chapters into it right now so I don't even fully know how to describe it but basically the main character is someone who uh, has experienced a a disfiguring injury and then becomes the creator of a text-based like RPG but it's also dealing with kind of um, his hallucinations and and his dealings with the real world and it's fantastic he's my favorite musician and lyricist so I'm excited to read his book I'm also reading a book by Kelly Link called Magic for Beginners which uh, I got years and years and years ago from Joey Camo the the writer for A Softer World and the first writer for Bravest Warriors and it is a set of short stories by Kelly Link as I said and it is just delightful supernatural fun a little sexy sometimes it's great so if you read comics and you don't like books, I'm sorry. But 
they're easier to take on planes sometimes. It takes longer to get through. <laughs> As for comics themselves, we're going to talk later in the show with Brendan Fletcher about Michael Cho's Shoplifter. And I will preface it now by saying, get Shoplifter. It's really good. I'll tell you more about it when I'm talking with him. But Michael Cho is an amazing artist, lives in Toronto. And this book is just this beautiful exploration of this girl who's kind of in her mid-20s, is sort of plateaued in life and is kind of figuring out where she fits in, in the big city and in her career choice. And, uh, Michael Cho's art is this absolutely gorgeous brush pen style with like a single coloring, um, like one color shading, which is something that I always love. I am such a sucker for. I've probably talked about it before. And a lot of my favorite books are done in that style. Um, And it is just great. It's just great. And it's just come out. And you should definitely check that out. As for single issues and ongoing comics, uh, Deadly Class just came back and uh, says Rick Remender and Wes Craig's story about a school for assassins. It's a lot about gangs. Um, it's gorgeous. And and the one thing that I want to give a shout out to, because I have talked about this comic before and I do still recommend it, even though I really don't like the villain in it, which is it's weird. I just, I just, it's this really gross kind of, he's very rapey. I don't know how else to describe it, but I really don't like him as a bad guy, but I like the main characters so much and the story so much and and the world so much and the art that I am willing to put up with the fact that every time the villain is on the page, I kind of skim past it. Um, The thing I want to give a shout out to is the lettering and the speech bubbles in this comic, which is a weird thing to mention, but I love it. I mean, the the lettering, the, the way that the speech bubbles are done, it's like, you, the the point on the speech bubble is this sort of blunted square. I can't even, it's such a nerdy design thing to be excited about, but it was one of the first things I noticed about the comics and continually one of the things that just pleases me so much because it's just, it's charming. It's neat and it suits the style of the comic really, really well. I also really love that the art in this comic doesn't really have panel borders um, it's just a lot of cool stylistic choices. So Deadly Class still, uh, again, as it's from Image, as with all wonderful Image books, has a first trade paperback for $10. And um, I would say, I mean, I'm not going to tell you to buy it because it might not be your thing, but pick it up and look at it if you're in a comic shop and see if it's your thing because it is beautiful. And for $10, again, you're not really going to go that far wrong. <laughs> um Wicked and the Divine was out again, and uh, this series, as I mentioned on Twitter, is my favorite series that I completely don't understand. <laughs> uh, Kieran, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, the team behind Young Avengers and Phonogram, have uh, started this series from Image about gods who uh, inhabit the bodies of teenagers and young people every 90 years, and they live for two years as gods and rock stars, and then they are dead. And... Uh, it's all seen through the eyes of this main character, Laura, who is a fangirl of all of these different gods and her interactions with them. And uh, if you're going to be at DICE this weekend, if you happen to be in Ireland, which I'm sure is a small percentage of uh, the listenership here, but if you are, I'm going to be dressed up as one of the characters, so you should come by on Saturday, maybe, uh, if you're into that. So I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> um. Last week, I guess, when you're hearing this, also saw the Gwen Stacy Spider-Woman issue of Edge of Spider-Verse came out. And this issue had so much hype for being part of a miniseries that has so little hype, or at least so little that filters into my circles of comic knowledge. Um, Basically, it's like an alternative universe, Elseworlds-esque version of of Spider-Man. 
But in this particular issue, which is something you can read completely on its own, um, or at least I did and didn't feel lost, wherein Gwen Stacy is uh, Spider-Man or Spider-Woman and has bitten, been bitten by the radioactive spider. She's also a drummer in a band called the Mary Janes. <laughs> She's got the best costume redesign outside of Batgirl that I've seen in the last year. She's amazing. Um, Robbie Rodriguez did the redesign of this costume. And um, if you're listening now, you should Google it and see just how great it is. I want this costume so badly. It's just so cool and so wearable and fits into that world of costumes that are like, yeah, that's realistic <laughs> for someone to wear and fight crime in. Um, my friend Jordan Gibson did fan art of that uh, months and months ago that I saw for the first time at Heroes Con and um, just immediately fell in love with it. And I've been really excited for that issue to come out. So even if you're not reading Spider-Man, which I'm not, even if you're not uh, into this crossover, which I'm not, pick up uh, Edge of Spider-Verse number two, the Gwen Stacy Spider-Woman issue. It is just so much fun. Um, I caught up as well this week on the Steven Universe comic. That's Jeremy Sorsese. I hope I'm not saying that wrong. And uh, illustrated by Coleman Engel, who has worked uh, with me on some Bravest Warriors stuff. And it's so much... It's so great. If you're watching the Steven Universe show, you should definitely check out this comic. It's really fun, super action-packed, very, you know, hyper-vibrant and silly and wonderful. And uh, the show itself is so good. So everything Steven Universe-related is great. Uh, Quick plot synopsis on that, if you don't know about it. It is a little boy named Steven who is a member of the Crystal Gems, which are a group of (laughs) gem power-based super ladies, uh, Amethyst, Garnet, and Pearl, who have... They, they solve uh, problems, supernatural and uh, magical problems. And Stephen's mom was one of them, so he's kind of like half gem. Basically, if you like the idea of a magical girl cartoon mixed with sort of a, a bumbling young boy trying to find his way in the world, definitely check out Steven Universe. The art on the show is so beautiful. Rebecca Sugar, who worked on Adventure Time, uh, created it, and a lot of the backgrounds are done by amazing artists like Sam Bosma. So check out the comic, check out the show. That's that's really all I have to tell you. She's so sweet. Is gonna your tweets. Twitter questions are short this week as we had a long interview and I have to get my hair done before I go to Ireland. And if that's not a brag, I don't know what is. I stick to it. Donna Cameron asked, uh, and her Twitter name is at girl in teacups 93. If you could be a comic book character, who would it be and why? That one is super easy. I would be Batwoman in Batwoman Elegy. Um, Kate Kane in that story is absolutely fantastic. It's illustrated by Amy Reader and... Uh, or was Amy Reader on that one? But it's absolutely done by J.H. Williams III, who is an uh, incredible illustrator. See how I can't even say the words? I get so excited. J.H. Williams um, did the Sandman Overture series and is in the process of doing the Sandman Overture series, which comes out once every 17 years. Um, it's beautiful. <laughs> If you have the patience to wait for it. Um, Kate Kane in that series or in that particular book, which I recommend you read even if you're not reading Batwoman, um, is uh, was discharged from the army during Don't Ask, Don't Tell and sort of takes up the mantle of Batwoman, of a Bat character, even though she pretty much rejects Batman and his attempts to recruit her into his family. Um, She's awesome. She's badass. She's a pale redheaded girl named Kate covered in tattoos who is having several 
or throughout the series anyway, has some pretty hot gay situations, and I'm into that. <laughs> so I would be her if I can't be um, Sailor Uranus, who was a comic character but also a TV character. Kate Kane is the best. Read Batwoman Elegy. I used to recommend it all of the time, but it, it's come out so many years ago now that sometimes I forget. Um, so, you know, if, if it was if it was now, it would be like how much I tell you to read Sex Criminals and Lumberjanes. That's how I was telling people to read Batwoman Elegy when I first started working at the comic book store. I don't know what else to say. It's the best, and that's who I would be. I really need to go get my hair done. Bye! Now let's take a breather, think about pumpkin spice lattes, and let me sell you something so I can pay off my staggering pumpkin spice-related debt. Are you ready for this? Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash less than live. There are approximately 1 billion titles to choose from for whichever media device suits your fancy. Don't quote me on that number. There are a lot. Overwhelmed by choices? Listen, I got you. The BBC radio production of Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere, which is awesome, is now available on Audible. I'm talking James McAvoy, Christopher Lee, Anthony Head, who was Giles, by the way, and Natalie Dormer. You know how I feel about Natalie Dormer. It's an awesome recording, and with our trial, it's free. You can't argue with that price. Just head to audibletrial.com forward slash less than live and let those beautiful accents take you away. Kate's gonna interview you. Kate's gonna interview you now. She's gonna ask questions. Kate's gonna interview you. Kate's gonna interview you now. This is the interview section. This week, our guest is Brendan Fletcher, who is the co-writer of two series I'm really excited for coming out this fall and actually within the next couple of weeks, both uh, Gotham Academy with Becky Cloonan and Batgirl with Cameron Stewart. It's a pretty exciting time for Brendan. Uh, <laughs> Brendan, how are how are you feeling about all this? Well, I'm pretty excited. Yeah? Like, scale it. I was trying to sound like not excited. Oh, okay. I can't. I just can't contain it. Yeah, I'm losing <laughs> my mind over here. It's nuts. It's crazy. It's, it's great. Oh god. Everyone said it. It's fine. Yeah. We're all. Juiced. It is. It, it is actually crazy. Like I think, you know, we're all talking almost every day. Me, Carl, Becky, Cameron, Babs, and the word crazy gets thrown around a lot because it's not just the fact that we're. Um, we're doing these books. It's the fact that we're getting to do the kind of books that we want to do. Like we're not being forced to make these books in any particular way. And we all get to work with each other. It's these are like, you never hear about this happening. Yeah. No, it's a crazy different thing for, for DC, especially I think to take such a risk in terms of these properties and not have so much editorial influence. I blame Mark Doyle. <laughs> I thank him a lot. I, I met him at Boston Comic Con, and I just was like, "Listen, keep <laughs> it up." <laughs> Mark is like, uh, you know, I, I've said it recently. I'm not. Sh- I feel like I'm spoiled. <laughs> Mark and Chris are the two best editors I've ever had a chance to work with, 
and I'm not sure that I could ever work with anybody else after them. I think I'm probably going to have to quit comics after <laughs> Gotham Academy and Batgirl. Well, hopefully they keep going for a very, very long time and it doesn't have to happen. Yeah, Mark is wonderful. I mean, aside from being, aside from, uh, being dreamy, which I think you can probably agree with. Yeah, um, I mean, we even have trouble talking on the phone. There's just so much hunkitude coming over the, uh, the phone line that... Uh, you can hear it. Yeah, you can. It's, palpable. it's it's really it's really difficult to actually have story meetings because <laughs> we're just all sighing into the phone. Just everybody over each other. Yeah, That's it's perfect. true. I love that. I mean, there's I love groups of comics people that all just seem to be in swoon with each other. <laughs> it's true. It's like really it 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 might actually be holding us back a little bit because we just kind of get together and there's just so much like hugging and talking about <laughs> how much fun we're having <laughs> instead of actually doing the work, you know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know what that's like. Becky and I are the worst. Actually, maybe Becky and Carl are even worse than than Becky and I together, but um it you know, we'll we'll have a very specific story thing that we need to talk about or character thing that we need to talk about. And then we just then it just becomes flights of fancy where we start rambling on about the potential of these characters that we're so in love with and these situations that we've come up with and oh we could do this oh imagine if we get to do this for five years we could take this character here and oh what if we include this kind of character and what other thing can we steal from Jane Austen (laughs) (laughs) perfect well it's exciting I mean especially for Gotham Academy because I mean Becky obviously Becky Clunan writes her own stuff when it comes to like her minis and things like that Um, but to see her you know, just as a writer on a project, um, that's really cool. And it's it's neat that that's happening. And like that that must be such a cool thing for the two of you. Because, I mean, you, I know you did Wednesday comic stuff and, and probably on your own. But this is this is like a big thing to be tackling. It's it's kind of massive. Yeah. Um, but I I see her also working on her own projects at the same time. Um, like I get a feeling if she, if she didn't have other things going on, um, she, at, when she was um, kind of thrown this by Mark, that she probably would have taken it on herself. As a, you know, if if this was her, if this were her sole project, mm-hmm. I'm sure she'd be doing it on her own. Um, but she's got all these other things going on that are amazing, and mm-hmm. I, I watch her. She's working on her own graphic novel, and that's just all her, 100% her. Right. And then she's writing Southern Cross. Um, the the image book she's doing with Andy Belanger and yeah, um, I'm so excited for that. Oh, it's going to be so, so good! I love Andy's, art Andy's and, work on it. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, he's a person who I'm just like, because it's like his style. I mean, obviously it's been influenced by Becky, but like it that I love that brush pen style. But it's kind of that same thing, but like so much more black metal. <laughs> Well, everything about Andy is just so much more so black, black metal, metal than everybody. And it's great. Or so much more wrestling. It's yes. A, it's this nexus point between <laughs> pro wrestling and metal. Mm-hmm. Which is great, you know. It's perfect. Yeah. And yeah, the, this project is just going to sing. I can't, like, it, it kills me that it's taking going to take so long for it to get on the shelves. I wish that I could talk about what I've seen a lot more, but um, everyone just has to trust me. This is... Yeah. This is going to be a defining book. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I can't wait! I can't wait. Really wait. And Andy had mentioned it to me at um, some con earlier this year because I can't keep him straight anymore. <laughs> but um, and as soon as he told me, and I was like, "Oh yes, 
Yes, yeah, it's I'm perfect just so for, glad this is for happening. both of them. It's the perfect story for Becky to write. Yeah. It's the perfect thing for him to illustrate. Yeah. Um, it's going to be incredible. But so she's involved in putting those scripts together as we're working on Gotham Academy. So there's, um, you know, there's there's a lot. We're all doing a lot of juggling. Cameron's also. Um, you know, while he and I are working on Batgirl. Well, he's always he's, working on 50 things, too. He is, but he's actually already, even though it's not scheduled to come out until um, the middle of next year, he's already um, juggling Fight Club work. Oh, um, yeah. That's true. So, yeah, in in fact, he's, he's you know, he's, well, he's, I shouldn't say too much, but he's, he's working on stuff all the time. <laughs> so there's always a lot going on. Um mm-hmm for all of us but to see these other to see my co-creators working on other projects and developing these things on their own it's um it, it's incredible it's really cool and it's so funny like as we got talking to this we did the exact same thing where we just started swooning uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do this a lot <laughs> oh, it's 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 like 90 percent of my work conversations um but like I, yeah, because I just so these are these these two titles. So Gotham Academy, and this is for the benefit of the listener who might not know, Gotham Academy is a new title coming out from DC that is a brand new set of characters, as far as I can tell. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It's all new. Um, yes. Of uh, sort of kids, teens going to this very Hogwarts esque uh, school in Gotham, and there's magic and mystery, and and it's it just seems like it's going to be a total delight. I'm really looking forward to that. And then Batgirl, which is, you know, relaunching with issue 35 and you and Cameron Stewart are writing it. Um, Babs Tarr, who's one of my favorite illustrators on the planet, is drawing it. And it's this whole new relaunch of that. And these are, I mean, you know, there's so many new things happening in, in comics and a few new things happening at DC. But these two titles really do seem to be like the big news for the fall. And they're definitely the things I'm the most excited about. So... You know what? What's it like having not just the one big thing, but but both at the same time? <laughs> well, I I think what it says to the world is that I'm sort of the defining element of the difference. <laughs> no, it's, seriously, it's it's um, again. I think it's <laughs> I think it's why we end up saying it's crazy so much because for us, these are just this is like this is how we write books. This is what the kind of stories that we want to tell. Um, so. I, I think the real difference is just that we've got somebody like Mark who could see the value in what we wanted to bring to the DC universe and um, was able to sort of shepherd our ideas to a place that they would be a little more friendly for um, the people upstairs and then went and fought to get these books made. Um, That's awesome. So, I, like, as... Hmm. <laughs> so much, so much of of both of these books is is just our vision being realized. But um, you don't get to realize a vision unless you've got somebody working with you in the company who also kind of shares that vision and is willing to fight to make it a reality. And um, you know, like uh, Becky and I could have done a book like Gotham Academy at Image, but it, it's because of what it is and its ties to uh, Gotham and then, of course, Batman, it makes it a whole different thing. It's not just a bunch of kids exploring the grounds of a, a creaky old school. It's it's a bunch of kids exploring the grounds of a, a creaky old school that's connected somehow to Batman and 75 years of comic book history. Which is so there's, cool. <laughs> there's so much weight to it. There's all this added gravitas. Like, we can just... Our first issue 
is peppered with Easter eggs. And each one of those can possibly mean something to a, a reader. Well, I, I don't expect any of them to mean anything to a new reader. But if, if you've been a Batman fan for even a few years, there's probably something you're going to recognize in there. And that will strike a chord and it, and it, it creates a sort of deeper resonance for everything that's happening in the book, I think. So um, to have the opportunity to tell this kind of story, but in Gotham, in the DC universe, with this greater resonance and this, and this incredible history, um, man, we're so lucky. We're, I, that's, I, it's the word crazy and the word lucky <laughs> over and over and over again. And I say it all the time. I am the luckiest writer in comics to have these two incredible opportunities, this amazing editorial team, and um, the best set of co-creators I could ever hope for. I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm totally just gushing. No, it's fine. What and is it's this not hype. not gushing. <laughs> but I'm totally not, I, this isn't like, it's not hype either. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to hype my projects or anything. I'm actually just really so pleased with the way everything's working out. It's amazing. Well, I'm really excited because, you know, I mean, obviously when the new Bad Girl launched and all the information about that came out, and I've known Cameron for a couple of years, so I kind of, I had a little bit of insider info before it came out, which is exciting. And uh, <laughs> that was really cool. And when I found out that it was Babs drawing it, I basically lost my mind. Um, <laughs> she's someone that I've just... It's, it's it's one of those things that you don't ever expect these two circles to become a Venn diagram of like mm-hmm. artists I love on Tumblr who draw punk rock versions of Sailor Moon and Batgirl, <laughs> you know, like DC Comics. And so that was so exciting and there was so much hype for that. And uh, I feel like only in the last couple of weeks and months has there been as much coming up for Gotham Academy because obviously like that sort of took precedence and which is you you can understand because it was a big big change for this character that everybody knows but from what i have seen of gotham academy like i am really excited about this <laughs> series and i knew well, it was yeah, going to be because I, I knew becky was working on it and i knew like it it sounded really awesome but then you know i got to see a little bit of it and like man oh man this is going to be awesome and so new reader friendly and so younger reader friendly which is something that dc has really not been doing to you know their full potential so i I really hope that it kind of paves the way for more titles like that it's a really different animal for them Mm -hmm. and um i i I don't i I think it it just took the right set of circumstances and and the right people behind it to to make it happen I, i think it was kind of inevitable something like that would have come about eventually i i think a more obvious place to see it would be teen titans mm-hmm. um but they've editorially always pushed it seems to me anyways always pushed teen titans like slightly older and they always want to have them a bit more connected to their main superhero universe yeah. and um and that's cool for what it is for the people who love that stuff but there's a whole other audience that would love to see those characters just a a bit more true to their their supposed ages and Mm -hmm. maybe just in their own little pocket of the world where they can kind of be kids a little bit um, and not have to be heroes all the time. And and maybe that's kind of what we're doing with Batgirl a little bit too, is we realized that um, DC, when they reset their universe for the new 52, they made Barbara only 21. That's really, really young. I mean... Barbara, as she was before, had like run for Congress. She'd she'd grown up, quit being Batgirl, run for Congress. I think she was engaged. Um, 
and then uh, and then she became Oracle. And I don't know how old she was supposed to be, but I'm guessing like early to mid 30s mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, she'd been through a lot. Yeah, so when she came back, she still kind of had this vibe of somebody who's like a bit older. And, um, you know, we we have had some criticism come our way about sort of reimagining Barbara as a teen. And I don't think that the way that we're kind of constructing her life is very, very much like the kind of life that any sort of normal teen would have. But (laughs) but 21 is only a couple years removed from being a teen. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, we actually did a lot of research to make sure that we were kind of accurate to the age and to I would imagine Babs probably had a lot of influence on that too. <laughs> Babs, well, you know, we actually had a lot of a lot of the work was done before Babs was confirmed as as uh, part of the team. Oh, fair um, but I will say 100% that um the villains were completely reimagined uh well almost completely reimagined for Babs. Um, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, just by taking a look at what she's done in the past. And mm-hmm. when she came on board, it was like, you know, we need to play to Babs' strength. Like, how can we reimagine what we were going to do with some of these future issues? Um, and, of course, she's just knocking out of the park. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's so But, amazing. yeah, it's <laughs> both both books, uh, I don't know, it's it's really... It's a really unique set of circumstances in in both cases, and um, it's just a lot of a lot of sort of decisions that that are um, maybe decisions that the regular fan base is not entirely comfortable with. But um, I think that we're trying to do the right things for the books, for the characters, and ultimately for the fans. All right, Brendan, what's your favorite <laughs> topping on pizza? <laughs> Who's your favorite actor who portrayed Dracula? <laughs> well, Kate, these are two of my favorite questions to answer. <laughs> who, who is your favorite actor that's portrayed Dracula? Oh, this is... Now that you bring it up. No, now, much, now that you've said it, you have to answer it. How much time do we have? <laughs> well, you give me the Cliff's notes on this. Well, this is a really... Um, hmm, how deep can we go here? Let, let's just touch, touch this on the surface. It, it's... Yeah. Um, I've got a real soft spot for Bela Lugosi because he is the iconic Dracula performer. Mm-hmm. But um, no one was ever spookier than Max Schreck and Nosferatu. Oh, yeah. And no one was ever creepier and weirder than Klaus Kinski in uh, Herzog's remake of Nosferatu from 1979. I do have a very special place in my heart, however, for... Christopher Lee, Frank Langella, and Gary Oldman. Yeah, Gary Oldman's Dracula is a a big deal for me. I think, I mean, especially when he's... Okay, so I, I watched that movie when I was um, in, in my formative goth years. Mm-hmm. And because uh, <laughs> my mom prefaced it very well. She was like, okay, Keanu Reeves is terrible, so just ignore mm-hmm. everything that he does in the movie and True. just appreciate Winona Ryder and Gary Oldman and when Gary Oldman is like his hot younger Dracula with the mm-hmm. long hair and that like silvery suit like mm-hmm. damn that's still I mean still I have trouble with that but I, I gotta <laughs> say like you take away the uh, stunning Eiko Ishioka design oh the costumes in that and, movie but it's not just that I mean they, one of their sayings for that film was the, the sets are the costumes mm-hmm. the production design on the whole is like 
it's it's nearly unmatched. That it's one incredible. scene when they're do, like drinking the absinthe in like that train car or whatever it is, him, mm-hmm. him and Winona Ryder, like, mm-hmm. and I mean the whole the part even with the wolf when uh, what's her name, the girl in the wet the red dress who's bitten early on is it Lucy? Lucy. Yeah, when she's got that crazy the long train of like the the flowing red fabric. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, so visually amazing. Like that, I mean, yeah, the movie's cheesy for. For what it is, and for Keanu Reeves, but it's so beautiful. But I mean, Dracula's always been a melodrama as as a, as a performance piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not so outside. Oh, here we go. Like this is getting this is getting deep. Now. <laughs> See, well, I got I really I, I totally agreed with your answers. So I was like, no, no, we have to keep going on this. <laughs> but Kate, okay, tell me, have you seen John Badham's 1979 Dracula? I have starring not. Starring Frank Langella, uh, Laurence Olivier, and Donald Pleasance. No, but I'm going to now. Well, this is a thing you need to see, but be prepared. If you're um, sort of a Dracula purist, if if you're a Stoker purist, um, mm-hmm. it's gonna be it's gonna throw you. This is this film is a point of contention between Becky and I, um, <laughs> because it, I don't know if you've picked up her um, illustri- illustrated Dracula. I have. She is a Dracula purist. Mm-hmm. This film is. Universal's remake of their own 1931 film with Bela Lugosi, which was in itself an adaptation of the touring stage play. Oh, wow. And as a stage play, it was totally, uh, yeah, I guess it was okay as a stage play, um, but it was, it was a play. Like you couldn't see hordes of rats and people turning into mist and bats and things well, like that. Because I'm a, I'm a total fangirl for the, the stage version of Dracula that Edward Gorey did the sets for. Ah, well, th- that's actually. That that's it. That's exactly okay. it. Well, see his so, version. I mean, just because I love his illustrations so much, and I have the little pop up theater that they did of it, like the little yeah, cardboard beautiful. cutout. <laughs> in, actually, Frank Langella um, performed the role in the film, coming off of I believe Broadway, doing the gory version. Oh my god! So Batum's uh, film was supposed to, in a sort of real world way, echo Edward Gorey's production design. Um, and then when they, I guess when they, this is becoming like a Dracula podcast. That's I'm sorry. fine. You know what? It's, is... Babs's was a Sailor Moon podcast. There's always, <laughs> there's always tangents. <laughs> um, I, I, I can bring this back to Gotham Academy. I promise. I, I was, I was, I had already <laughs> contemplated some hooks to be like, well, so you're really into bats. <laughs> exactly. But so uh, the 1979 Dracula was supposed to look very um, desaturated. It was look it was supposed to look almost black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the when Universal made their I guess what is I, I don't know enough of the technical terms their answer print, maybe it was way too colorful and it went out to theaters as this like really super saturated, colorful version of Dracula. And it was not what anybody had wanted. It wasn't the Mm. intention. And the film, um, it was the third Dracula adaptation to come out in 79 after um, Herzog's Nosferatu. And it was coming hot on the heels of George Hamilton's uh, comedy. um, Crap, what's the name of that? Love at First Bite. Yes. Uh, which was a sort of minor summer hit, I think. Mm-hmm. So it was a huge flop. And like all these people have never seen this um, John Badham, Frank Langella version, but it's it's mixed up. It's like kind of cut up and mixed up. You know, Mina is Lucy and Lucy's Mina. Uh, Mina is the daughter of Van Helsing. Lucy okay. is the daughter of So you have of to come Dr. into it with Seward. kind of an open mind. <laughs> yeah, it's like story-wise, it's not what you want from it, 
Yeah. Uh, Frank Langella's hair is also a bit disco. It's a bit like Travolta, mm-hmm. um, Saturday Night Fever, uh, and and also his kind of his white shirt. His and there's then there's a scene in the middle. There's kind of a weird sex scene with lasers. That's it's love it or hate it. But the rest of it is like spectacular. John Williams score, incredible Laurence Olivier and Donald Pleasance performances. Uh, and one of the creepiest moments in any Dracula movie I've ever seen. Well, I am just so excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the right time of so. year. No, no, no. It's the right time of year. And my thing is it that, is. like, I get so into the idea of watching spooky movies uh, when it becomes September and October, but I can't watch horror movies. I'm kind of a wimp where it's like I like creepy and eerie and supernatural, but when it's genuinely <laughs> scary, I can't really do it um which is very ungoth of me but <laughs> but i can maybe one moment that you'll have trouble with in oh, this sure but it's fine. so rewarding you'll love that you got scared by it <laughs> it makes the whole movie well i'm very excited about this i can watch and it on one of my five thousand uh, plane rides between now and halloween <laughs> it's it's true <laughs> um this is it's it's one of the movies that i try to watch every year around this time of year maybe that's why it's it's coming into the conversation so heavily but to bring it around to gotham academy please um, there is a sort of dracula influence on gotham academy and it's Ooh. not just me um it's well, yeah, also I guess between becky. you and becky mhm exactly <laughs> It'd be hard to avoid so i mean we were both kind of pitching these uh victorian romantic slash horror concepts back and forth to each other and to Carl at the same time. I mean, I almost feel bad for it. Carl's gotten used to it. We've known each other for years. He's known of my Dracula and Lugosi fixations since we were kids. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know how much of it he enjoys himself or how much he's sort of fooled himself into thinking he enjoys <laughs> it or how much he's just placating me. But um I, but it's there, and he's done. He's done a well. You know, um, mm-hmm. you've you've seen the you've seen the Dracula on the page. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's there. It's in Gotham Academy. There's spooky stuff. Uh, oh, the tone of it is just amazing. Like, oh, thank you. It's so. I, and Carl Kershaw was. Am I saying that right, Kershaw? Kershaw, yeah. yes. Um, who's someone who I I don't like. I didn't. I wasn't familiar with as much before I saw the Gotham Academy stuff, and was just like, oh, okay, this is an amazing person. <laughs> and I just like, there's just another incredible artist to add to the roster of people that um, I can now be yeah, fairly obsessed with. Yeah, Carl's not just one of my best friends, but he's one of the most talented people I've ever known in my life, and um, mm-hmm. he's been doing comics for 20 years, but he's still. He's, you know, he's Eisner Award winner, but he's still like he keeps a pretty low profile. Yeah. He um, he continues to do his incredible award-winning comic, uh, The Abominable Charles Christopher, every week. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm familiar with that a yeah. little bit. Okay, there you go. Same yeah, connections. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things I should know. But he's he's also had so he's like this award-winning web comic artist, but mm-hmm. at the same time he's continued to make superhero comics for DC and Marvel. And he's got these two completely different audiences that don't really cross over. And so, um, you know, we're making efforts to sort of bring everyone together and, and have this like large Carl Kershaw love fest. So I'm, I'm hoping Gotham Academy is like his big coming out to the world. Like, Oh my God, look how amazing this guy is. Everybody. Well, that's, I mean, that's what it did for me looking through the bits of it that I have seen. Um, and there's a there's a character uh, the 
I mean, I don't want to give too much or, or anything away, really, but the the headmaster, I suppose, of, mm-hmm. of Gotham Academy when um, that character is introduced. And I just sat there looking at the, the <laughs> face and just like, I was like, oh, oh yeah, okay, that's incredible. <laughs> just the design of the character. And it's so exciting when that can happen, you know, and you just see something you're like, oh, yep, that's amazing. Like, I, I immediately care about this character and how they interact with other people. So that was really cool. And just, I mean, the look, there's such a such an established early on look to the book of, you know, what the, the tone is of everything. And, and I was, yeah, sucked in pretty much right away. <laughs> he's been working so hard to um, design everything. And he's, um, he's immaculate. Like, he spends way longer than he should doing pretty much everything. <laughs> so I imagine he has very detailed maps because it very much feels when you're looking at it that you know where the rooms are, how far apart things are, what their relations are to each other in the space of this kind of campus. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that is is true, but I, it seems like it to me. Where it's well, like, it's, I guess it, if, if he does his job right, it, yeah. should, it should feel that way. Yeah, it feels like <laughs> but, a, a real place, like it's based off of an actual location. So If this is, if this is a podcast about telling secrets, then no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of flying by the seat of your pants. Um, Becky and I um, kind of spitballed a map. We've got a couple of early maps that we made of the, the campus. Um, and Becky did a sort of more firm version uh, of of the layout of of the main buildings that we require, but we really wanted to leave things. We wanted to leave ourselves some wiggle room, um, so that if we if we start to see a story going in a certain direction, and we need to have another building that we're not kind of you know locked down to this current set of buildings as a as a a, a complete place, we need to be able to have you know come up with another. We need to be able to provide another. Uh, space if the story calls for it so we have a loose map okay well you could have fooled me (laughs) and you did (laughs) i've ruined the magic of comics for you fantastic job done (laughs) so the first issue of of gotham academy is october 1st and bad girl is october 8th that's right um so guess what new york city comic-con is going to be that party yo are you going to be in new york city yeah. I'm going to be at New York City. Yeah, we're going to party. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm staying with um, with Chris Anka and Babs Tar actually, for the first couple nights that I'm there. Oh People listening, don't hunt us down and kill us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he kind of saved me. I... Uh, because I'm I'm down there with uh, with Boom, but only for the weekend. So I was kind of like, I'm free-floating for the first couple days because I'm part of this... Uh, <laughs> this thing called Shipwreck, which is uh, these this monthly performances where people write erotic fan fiction about a different book, and then someone performs it. Oh, um, my. So that's on the Tuesday, and they're doing mm-hmm. it about Watchmen for New York Comic Con. Um, so between now and October 8th, I have to write an erotic story about Night Owl. So... <laughs> it's of course be, you do. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> um, that's just some information. <laughs> but no, I'm very excited about that. It's going to be a big... Um, a bat show then I guess so you guys are all going to be over with with DC or are you tabling separately uh, I think Babs has got a separate place um, we this kind of little Montreal crew that we've got I think has a table that we have access to but I don't know that we're going to set anything up I'm pretty sure that team Batgirl is going to be run ragged over the weekend or so we're told yeah 
Um, I know that we're on at least one panel. I'm doing at least two panels. Um, there's a bunch of media stuff and a bunch of signings. Yeah, we, we don't have the exact plan yet, but I, I don't know how often any of us are going to be at a, at a one particular table space. Yeah, I figured it was probably going to be pretty crazy. It's going to be nuts. Also, parties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a bat party, Kate. Oh, so my gosh. better be there. Well, you better invite me. Well, you're invited. Oh, I, uh, I've been seeing, because Babs posted that that bat jacket that, yeah. that she had made for her. So good. So she's going to be pretty easy to find at the show. The thing I love about Babs is like, I mean, when I got started doing, you know, when I first got on a comics title and on Adventure Time, I started wearing all Adventure Time shirts to shows. And I had a couple of friends being like, yeah, it's sort of lame that you're wearing your own thing to a show and then when at Boston Comic Con Babs came in the first day and was wearing like 17 different bat related accessories <laughs> I was like oh I feel fine like I got nothing yeah we brought some buttons to the San Diego Comic Con and um, and she very quickly took one of each off my hands yeah. <laughs> and pinned them on herself it's so well how could you not be I like, know. that's so exciting I, I was like discreetly wearing the Gotham Academy badge that's it oh man <laughs> I'm so excited for that. And I, I like there are, I've already seen people on on the Internet um, talking about different cosplay things for Gotham Academy. So it doesn't even exist yet. But, you know, it's happening. Oh, I can't wait. I know. I want to see it happen. I know. We do. I want to see. I'm, I'm, maybe I'll cosplay the headmaster. <laughs> draw, on some, draw on a whole lot of wrinkles. <laughs> I don't need to draw them on. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh man, yeah, I, I'm, I can't wait for that show. I think it's going to be really fun. Like, just all these cool things are kind of coming out around the same time, and it's, yeah, I didn't know that. I expect for some reason I expected when um, Batgirl and Gotham Academy were launched that it was or announced that it was going to be like months apart because they are, I mean, not so similar in tone, but similar, I guess, in demographic. Um, Possibly, yeah. But it's like, yeah, you know, we just get everything at once. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I hope, I, I don't know. I mean, speaking about the demographics, I don't know where these books are going to end up necessarily because, like, DC's not really, their sort of an internal structure isn't really built to hit the audience that you think Gotham Academy would be perfect for. Yeah. Um, so how do we get it to those people? Like, how do we get it to younger people? The internet. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it's if I something could hazard, that we talk about all the time. Yeah. Like, if I, if I could hazard a guess, I think Batgirl so much is going to be girls in their 20s that are going to yeah. get super into it. I mean, that's, you know, I read it and was like, yeah, okay, I, I get this. My friends are like this, you know, and or, you know. And then for Gotham Academy, I think that it's just... First of all, that it's so, I mean, both of the series being so cosplayable and how that's such a huge community, especially of younger people, I think mm-hmm. that'll help it filter into those groups. Um, and But Gotham Academy, I mean, like, I I would have killed to read that when I was like 13 or 14 because, you know, that's the Harry <laughs> Potter age, right? Or it was yeah. for me. And uh, I would have been all over it. So hopefully it, it finds that, you know, um, and finds those people and kind of... Because it definitely DC for the last couple of years has not really been aiming at those groups specifically. I think that's fair to say. So <laughs> I know I'm going to be pushing it on those people. Thank you. Yeah, just trying to do what I can do. <laughs> but, I know it's it's tough, um, but I, I I hope it finds its audience. I, I keep I keep saying to people I I 
I think Gotham Academy is going to be the slow burn. I think we're, uh, you know, hopefully DC will stick with it. Hopefully they'll see that that it does have an audience out there and it just needs to have a chance to actually find its way to the audience. And maybe that's going to take, you know, the first trade paperback collection. Maybe it's going to take getting it into bookstores, getting into getting it into the hands of younger people, Harry Potter fans maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, I mean, it's not Harry Potter, it, but it no. certainly has aspects of that tone. The fact that it's in a boarding school. Um, but it's definitely you know, in that group of, if you liked this, you might exactly, like this, exactly. which as a retailer is how you operate. Like exactly. I, I had a guy come in yesterday to my comic shop and I was actually working for once and <laughs> he was just kind of like, so I have this niece and she's 15 and she's really, her favorite movie is Coraline. So first of all, I was like, well, this kid's awesome. And he's like, yeah, she's really into Coraline. She likes spooky stuff, but not really like horror. You know, what would you, what would you recommend? And I was like, can you come back in a month? <laughs> Cause, uh, cause I got I got some stuff, but um, <laughs> just it's just gonna have to wait. Check in again in a little bit because you know I mean the Marvel stuff that's coming out right now that is sort of definitely teen girl reader friendly um, as well as being obviously awesome for so many other people. Um, it just doesn't have that kind of element of like a little bit gothic, a little bit spooky, mm-hmm. and and that's what yeah. I was so into at that age. And I might not have given Miss Marvel a chance because it was such a brightly colored superhero thing, even though it is amazing. Uh, and I definitely would have leaned more towards like, oh, well, this has graveyards in it. <laughs> so yeah, I would have that. been exactly the same. I would have been exactly the same. I would have been, if, if you put both those books in front of me, I would have, you know, not knowing anything about the creative teams, I would have gravitated towards the one with graveyards. And- oh, yeah. Things that kind of look like vampires, and but that's just that's just me. I've that's always been what I've. It's always been an obsession. <laughs> I was always a kind of a, a secret goth. I yeah. didn't. Um, I didn't feel like I needed to exhibit the trappings of a goth, but those were my peeps. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Fox and I have this conversation all the time. I can imagine you do. <laughs> yeah, we basically get together and talk about Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> for Man. hours. Now we get together and talk about Dracula, and then we segue into talking about Gotham City and how we can cross-pollinate story ideas between our books. I love it. I love, yeah, because... It's so fun seeing all these weirdos work their way into these mainstream <laughs> comics. I don't know how else to phrase it, but it's just like, it's, I don't know, comics uh, over the last couple of years, I mean, just from a retailer perspective and trying to sell it to people and always just feeling like there is this gap of if you're me, like, in terms of superhero comics, outside of image comics, that's which are mostly mature, right? Like, mm-hmm. Saga is amazing, but I wouldn't give it to a 14-year-old. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And that's the hard thing. Like lock and key is amazing, but I wouldn't give it to someone who is in their preteens, early teens, because it's very gory and it's, you know, which is fun and it's spooky, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hit the right age group. And it is, it does seem very difficult sometimes. And I want to get those people into comics because when I was that age, I couldn't find anything. And like I read Black Hole and that was, you know, a little too old for me, but I loved it. (laughs) And now it's so cool because I'm going to, I know I'm just going to be so overzealous about it. Everyone who comes in between the ages of like 12 and 18, like, hey, look at this thing. It's you must spooky. read it. Yeah. <laughs> You're contractually obligated. They made this for you. Yeah, it's, I mean, and that's, it's funny because I talk about it every now and then, but the first part of that battle is getting retailers to realize that that that's it's what it like you guys need to order this book because you have customers who already want this they just don't know that they need it yet exactly um 
and how do I, how do we educate the retailers to know? I mean, it's it feels so self-serving, but like, I want the retailers to know that they need to have copies of this book because they actually have younger readers who want something like this. And and we're we're not just making it for younger readers, though. I should say that too. It's I I think any fan of Batman or um, anyone who enjoys things set in the, the Gotham and the DC universe will get something out of it. There's so much, we're, we're hinting at so much DC and, and, and Gotham history and, and history of the Waynes and other major families of, uh, of Gotham city that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, we're going to reveal a lot of secrets and, I think that's a pretty good lure for longtime fans as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't mean that it's it's exclusively for that age group. Obviously, like, no, of course, yeah, of there's course. so much, but it that part just is really that part just excites me, you know, selfishly, utterly, yeah, no, it, utterly it selfishly. Totally excites me too. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely like there are little things like I'm not even um, I'm the kind of person who has read a lot of Batman collections, but not a lot of the sort of single issue ongoing. Like I don't haven't read 700 issues of Batman, <laughs> but I've read a lot of the, the smaller collections. And even then I kind of like the, the bits that I saw and that I was speaking through, I was like, Hey, Oh, I think I know that's a thing. <laughs> and that was exciting. And it's cool. I think it's really smart to not only, you know, make it really approachable for new readers, but also to kind of have those little, those little hooks, those things that are going to make you be like, Oh yeah. Yeah, and hopefully we've seeded enough into Batgirl as well. I mean, it's a there's so much history with with Batgirl, um, and it's and there's so many different versions of Batgirl. It's tough to um, it's tougher to find one thing that'll speak to everybody. It's a way more contentious issue. So really, that's just about trying to find the right tone and and the right collection of characters and and. Um, aspects of the universe to focus on to to kind of create something that will speak to that that audience or and really just to speak to us as well i think what, sorry go ahead i was just gonna say what things feel right mm-hmm. for the story i think batgirl um and for me it seems like something that yeah it will sort of take like a, a couple of issues to sort of find its its universe and its pace because there's so much you need to hit right off the top. Like it's I know true. that, yeah, so many things yeah. you need to establish and and you know let the reader know that ev- that these things have changed and all. There's yeah. a lot of heavy lifting to do in yeah. issue 35, and yeah. um, I'll I'll say now I don't think I've said it anywhere before. We were had written the story for 22 pages and lost two pages. Oh my god! So. There's a feeling of compression just by the the nature of of well the, the fact that we're cramming so much in and then we also lost two pages, um, and we're just trying to accomplish so much in in such a small space. Um, yeah, it's it like I said, it's a lot of heavy lifting and and to try to to try to cram it all in there is tough. And I I think it I think it works for the most part. Oh yeah, um, but you will feel, I believe, in the subsequent issues that things kind of even out a lot more and we can just focus on the story for that issue. Um, yeah, I mean, there was no real way to avoid that when you kind of are coming into this big relaunch and having to, you know, you have to come in with a bang. And I get that. Yeah. And and really sort of set up this new universe and be like, all right, this is what it is. 
this is what we're doing here are all of these elements and you know then it can kind of take its time to to unravel and and see the relationships between people and that was very much how it, how it reads to me um which i'm like cool that's great <laughs> the character designs are so awesome i was sold at at that point you know <laughs> <laughs> oh my god dinah looks so amazing <sighs> so sweet yeah dinah's pretty cool so cool we've got some really cool plans for dinah <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, that's I'm just be really dying great. to talk about it. I wish I could just, you know, yeah. I'm like bursting. Yeah. Every aspect of this has been really difficult for us to contain because we're so excited. I mean, even even in a lot of the criticism uh, surrounding Batgirl, you know, like we have answers for everybody's questions, mm. but a lot of the answers end up being spoilers for the stories. Right. There are reasons for uh, almost every criticism that's been. Um, that's been lobbed our way for story, character, whatever yeah. surface details. There's a reason for everything and it all makes sense. Um, yeah, it frustrates me when people won't give something like you're looking at. I mean, when people were filing complaints, it was like the cover and like character yeah. design. Like you don't know anything yet or the, you know, the bits of the retailer preview. It's like, dude, give it, <laughs> give it some issues, man. It's going to yeah. be great. It all makes sense, I promise you. <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, there's, you know, there, the response to this, to this has been almost unanimously like, holy crap, this is going to be the best thing ever. Um, it has been amazing. Like, just watching the, the fan outpouring and the love for it and the excitement for it um, has been so much fun from my end. And it's so fun to see people get so excited about Batgirl. I know it's you know? nuts. I, I, you know, we knew that that some people would like it, but we we weren't expecting this sort of overwhelming <laughs> response. Uh, and it's so gratifying, you it's know, because still going, we, and the thing hasn't even come out yet. I know. <laughs> so much pressure. Oh man! <laughs> I hope everybody great. likes You're it. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I almost just want to get through this issue thirty-five and just mm-hmm. give everyone issue thirty-six. Yeah, just right away. Be like, listen. Yeah. It's true. I mean, we've got great new villains in 36. These girls on, on these like motorbike assassins, oh, jawbreakers. God, I know. I can't wait. Awesome. That cover. That cover. There's, there's brand new supporting characters in 36, too. We finally mm. see Barbara actually going to college, going to Burnside College and starting, starting to uh, deal with her situation mm-hmm. um, with her master's supervisor and her office mate. Yeah, there's all sorts of great things happening. Oh, it's going to be so great. Um, So, Brendan, uh, the last thing I usually ask people at this point um, is, what comics are you reading? Now, I know you're super busy, (laughs) and you may not have time, um, but what are some things that you're either keeping up with now or have read recently that you would recommend? Well, I do need to tell everybody, um, like, look, he's my friend, I'll say that, up front, but this book is going to clean up at any comics awards this year. And I'm not just saying that because he's a pal of mine, but Mike Cho's Shoplifter oh, is, man. yeah, see? I read, like it, you, I read it yesterday. I picked it up and read the whole thing like when I got home. Shoplifter is the book to get. It's from Pantheon. Uh, Michael Cho is the name on the cover. Um, Another Canadian? God. Yeah, he's or from Toronto. He's yeah. like, Wow, he's one of the most talented guys I know, and he's one of so the nicest, good. smartest guys I know. He's incredible. Um, he and his wife Claudia did the book design, which is just impeccable. It's a gorgeous little book. It's an incredible read. It's beautiful. Um, and they're lovely like, people, which doesn't hurt at all. They're the best people. So sweet. And 
if you like comics at all, you owe it to yourself to pick up Shoplifter. Awesome. Yeah, that's 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 my main one. I've got some other great stuff here. Like um, I've got the Fourth Planet here from uh, Fred Kennedy, um, who hooked me up with a copy at uh, Fan Expo. Sweet. Amazing work by uh, the illustrator and designer. I don't know how to say his last name. Um, Miko uh, Machiazek or something. All right. Uh, yeah, great stuff. Great little square book. It's it's beautiful design. Um, lovely illustrations. Amazing color work. What's the plot? Give me a synopsis. Uh, an intergalactic exodus amid an extraterrestrial renaissance. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> what a pull quote machine. <laughs> I read it off the back. Oh, cheater. I was ready for you, Kate. Um, uh, the other couple of things that I've got here that have just blown me away are um, Ami Zhao's Nameless and the Scientist, uh, another incredible lady who's just making some of the most beautiful comics I've ever seen. Um, and uh, I have Craig Russell's collection of the uh, of Wagner's uh, Ring Cycle, which is mm. like thirty bucks from Dark Horse, and you get like decades worth of his comics. Oh wow! Yeah, beautiful stuff. That's awesome. This stuff is amazing. Well, that's some good stuff. <laughs> that's see, you're reading. You know, come on. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's just it's the stuff I've picked up lately. It's the stuff mm-hmm. that inspires me. Oh, the only other thing that I picked up recently was uh, um, Supreme Blue Rose. <gasps> Isn't that beautiful? Chulote. Oh my god, it's the art in that. The next big thing, guys. Oh, she's amazing. She's I really so want her to gifted. work with Kelly Sue as well. Like that's kind of my dream team right now because her stuff. I mean, I think would go so well with Emma Rios. Yeah, just like that's. I don't know. I do that. I fantasize about artistic collaborations a lot. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that person should definitely color that person. Um, but, yeah, that is beautiful. That's such a good comic. I'll just keep going. It's so good. <laughs> um, all right, Brendan. So Gotham Academy, October 1st, Bad Girl, October 8th. You are going to be at New York Comic Con. Are you anywhere else before uh, New Year's? I am. I've got uh, a long list of appearances you can find on my site, brendanfletcher.com. The list will not be as long as wherever Kate's going to show up. But I'm, we're, we're doing a little tour on the way down to New York Comic Con. So we've got a launch party, uh, which will be kind of a killer launch party at a new bar here in uh, Montreal. Oh, wow. It's um, uh, Gotham Academy launch party October 2nd. Then we wind our way down to Toronto via Ottawa doing some launches. And then... Uh, a uh, launch in uh, a signing in Syracuse, Long Island, and Huntington, New York, before we do maybe some kind of party signing thing in New York City and then New York Comic Con. And then um, we're all at Thought Bubble in oh, Leeds. I'm and so there might be a bit of a sad. signing tour at Thought Bubble. Yes, we were sad when we heard you're not coming. I actually had to turn down a show. <laughs> I actually was like, I physically can't do this many cons. <laughs> Which is insane, but um, that sounds like it's going to be an amazing show. So yeah, it's going to be great. Really we'll miss cool. you. I'll be there next year. But so you get just dice. Launch another series next year. <laughs> you get dice, though. I'm missing dice. You do I'm get really dice. Jealous. I do I get wish dice. I could go to Dublin. I can't wait. I've never been. Um. So if people want to find you online, is it brendanfletcher.com? Did you say? Yep. B r e n d e n fletcher.com. And you're uh, the same also- on Twitter. Brendan I am at Brendan Fletcher. I Perfect. scored my own name everywhere because my first name has a weird spelling. 
Yeah. That's lucky. <laughs> That's my dad trying to be interesting. Well, it worked out for you, domain name wise. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, all right, Brendan, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm very excited about these comics. And if you're listening, you should pre order them. Absolutely. Go to your comic shop and slam your fist on the table and tell them that you need uh, these new bat titles. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kate. I'm so happy to have been on your show, and I'm so glad to have your support on both these books. Oh, man. They're the best. <laughs> Thank you. I'll talk I'm to you I'm not soon. paying her, really. I'm not paying her. <laughs> I'm not paying you either, so there you go. <laughs> Everyone's just fans of each other. This is the world of comics I want to live in. I want Edward Scissorhands now. Oh, my God. You you want it. Jeez Louise. I'm dying None for that more thing. Goth. We're gonna have we're gonna have little preview versions at New York Comic Con. Amazing! I we're know. gonna have a goth party. We are gonna have a goth party. <laughs> oh, okay. And Kieran's gonna be there, oh so it can literally be none more goth. I'm telling Becky. I'm telling Ray Fox. Oh, perfect! I'm gonna goth it up. <laughs> All right, Brendan. I'm very excited to see you in New York. You have a great day. You too, Kate. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, that's our show. Thank you so much to Brendan Fletcher, who was an absolute treat. What a great time that was. Did you have a good time? I had a good time. I am off to the Dublin International Comic Expo on September 27th and 28th. That is in Ireland, if you weren't sure, if I hadn't mentioned it several times. <laughs> and New York Comic Con shortly thereafter. So come by, and especially at New York Comic Con, where we're going to be debuting the first issue of Fraggle Rock, the 25th issue of Bravest Warriors, which is a big second anniversary. Spectacular? Can I? Yeah, it's a spectacular. Yeah, I think we're also going to have a preview of Edward Scissorhands, like I said before. I told you everything, but I'm telling you again because I want to make sure you remember because it's important. In the meantime, rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you like this show and want to make sure we never die, consider donating on villagesoundcast.com. If you've got questions or want more, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter at LTLcast, and get all of the show notes on lessthanlivecast.tumblr.com. Have a great week. I'll miss you. Did you know I've been staring at you this whole time? This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. Me? I'm good to go. Yeah, I'm just going to remain silent until you uh, address me, and then I'll then I'll start my drunken rantings. Perfect. I'm so glad we're all drunk. Yay, podcast! <laughs>